Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning I want to share with us a little bit about what really counts in Christ or what really matters in Christ. Um, but before we get even into the message this morning, you know, there are a lot of prophetic voices that are out there in the world today. Many. And you can go online and you can pick up all kinds of messages that are given by prophets and prophetesses and so on and so forth. And nothing wrong with that. But how many of you know that the Bible says that we have a more sure word of prophecy? And if there was only one thing that we would choose to live our lives by, it should be that one more sure word of prophecy. And what is that? The established written word of God. And so thank God, if we had anything to live by, it would be this. The word of God. We don't discount or discredit anything that people have said. Everything that's prophetically proclaimed has got to line up with what? This word of God that's been written. If it doesn't, then we have to throw it out. Amen? Amen. So thank God for his holy written word. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, the first two verses, and I've got two different translations going here today, so let's read them both. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me? And what kind can be my resting place? For all these things my hand has made, and so all these things have come into being by and for me, says the Lord. But this is the man to whom I will look and have regard. Did you hear that? This is the man that I will look to and have regard. He who is humble and of a broken and or wounded spirit and who trembles at my word and reveres my command. Wow. That's the one that he's going to really take notice of. So look at the uh, tr uh, Passion Translation of the same text. This is what Yahweh says. The heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is the place where I will rest? My hand made these things so they all belong to me, declares Yahweh. But there is one my eyes are drawn to. The humble one, the tender one, the trembling one who lives in awe of all I say. Wow. Do you want his eyes to be drawn to you? Do I want his eyes to be drawn to me? Then my attitude toward this word of God will determine that. It's going to determine the place that he holds in my life. He highly esteems his word, and we should also, as a matter of fact, these verses reveal to us that we could never overemphasize the word of God in our lives. Never overemphasize the word of God, period. It's the most important thing, praise God. It's what we live by because God reveals himself through his word. Without his word, we wouldn't know his character. We wouldn't know his, his uh, desires. We wouldn't know his will. There are a lot of things we wouldn't know if we didn't have his word. But then also we understand that 
He works through his word. You go back to the very beginning, and what we discover is nothing was taking place in the chaotic world that existed at that time until God spoke. And when he spoke the word, then the Spirit of God moved, and things took place. The same thing is true with us today. It's when God's people get a hold of God's word, embrace God's word, and hold his word up before his throne and said, this is what you said. You don't say that with arrogance. You say that with all kind of humility. Why? Because he honors his word. He highly esteems his word. And anyone who will take his word and truly embrace it and live by it, you got his attention. And then also, you realize that he brings in new births, new life through the word. The Bible says we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that lives and abides forever. It also tells us that he begat us with the word of truth. So notice the emphasis on the word. And then also we know that we generate faith through the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so once again, we see that the Bible itself places importance on the word. And we should also do the same. But then there is a verse that really struck me so many years ago when I first embraced it. Psalm 138 and verse 2, this is from the classic amplified version of the Bible. And look at what it says. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth and faithfulness. For you have exalted above all else your name and your word, and you have magnified your word above all your name. Wow. Isn't that something? You've exalted above all else your word and your name, but you've magnified your word even above your name. This is his attitude toward his own word. You see, God's a God of integrity, a God of truth. And then when he speaks, praise God, he's not a man, the lion or the son of man to repent. If he said it, he does it. If he spoke it, he makes it good. And he wants us to embrace that and understand that and know that so we can generate faith in our lives. That's the only way we can trust and believe in him. If we understand that he honors his word, it's the highest thing as far as he is concerned. And when someone taps into it, you've got his attention. Amen? So thank God for even all the other prophecies out there, but nothing is more important to him than this word right here. Amen? And then look at 2 Timothy. This is uh, Paul talking to Timothy, the young pastor, and giving him some counsel and advice. And look at what it says from the New Living Translation of the Bible. All scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not, Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And really, we're living in that day right now. Probably more than ever before. People don't want to hear what God has to say. They just want to live their lives by the, how, by the way they feel or what they think is right. But you know what? God has never changed and he'll never, ever change. The word is to be our sure foundation. Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, 
and don't do what I say. A wise man will build his life upon the foundation of the word of God and will keep the sayings of the Lord. And that makes us people that he'll look for. His eyes will be drawn to each and every one of us. When we say, you know what, Lord, this is what you said. And even though my feelings tell me something else, I'm exalting your word above my feelings. And you know what? That's one of the biggest challenges we all have in life. Wouldn't you say amen to that? My feelings tell me to do this, but you know what? Your word says to do that. I'm going to choose your word above my feelings, above my emotions, and anything else in my life. And once again, that's the challenge. But anyhow, well, that being our foundation, that being the basis for the teaching, then the question is, really, what really matters in Christ? What really counts in Christ? And how are we going to know that? Well, we need information, don't we? Um, Look here in, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. This is from the New International Version. Look at what it says. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly wait for the faith of righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing, so strong, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow. What a statement. See, we wouldn't know that if we didn't have this revelation given to us by Paul, who got it from Jesus. In other words, he is saying, look, it's, it's not whether you've been a Jew or a Gentile. What really matters in Christ, what really counts in Christ, is faith working by love. And once again, thank God that we have the revelation of his word because we have a bigger picture. Let me give you an illustration. If, um, let's just say that you, someone offered you three things. If someone offered you a million dollars a brand new car of your choice, or a parachute, which would you take? It's not a trick question. A million dollars? Brand new car? A parachute? Well, see, I only gave you part of the picture because we're going skydiving. No, no. Once you chose, you can't. You've got the million dollars, you're, you're going skydiving. And you chose the car, you're going skydiving. You see, I left that out. That one minute, small little detail, so it's relative. What's most important in that scenario? The parachute. But you know what? Sitting here in this warm church, with all that going on out there, a million dollars looks pretty good. And you might say, well, I'm going to take my million dollars by a parachute. No, once you made your choice, we're going skydiving. Not to Walmart. Or anywhere you can buy a parachute. Okay? This is why it's important that we have an understanding of the whole counsel of God. That we recognize and we know all the things he wants us to know from his perspective and not our own. Because we're limited in our own knowledge, aren't we? We sure are. So when you have that limited knowledge, you can see what you would do to yourself. What good would the million dollars do when you jumped out of a plane at 14,000 feet? Would it do you any good? What good would a new car do? 
you wouldn't be able to drive it. But a parachute, it kind of help out a little bit, wouldn't you say? Okay. Look, two things. Faith working by love. Well, then what is faith? We know faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith, we understand, is a concomitant of knowledge. We know that when we get the knowledge of God's word, we can produce faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But in a word, faith really means trust. I trust someone. I trust in something. And it could be anything. But anyhow, we trust because we are convicted that something is absolute. And not only is it absolute, I can depend upon it. I'm convicted by it. So much so that I'm willing to act on it. In other words, apply it to my life. There are a lot of people that take this word and think that, okay, I may know some scriptures and whatever, but really, do you embrace it enough to make it a part of your life or make your life line up with what this word teaches? I have to be deeply convicted and convinced that this word, as far as I'm concerned, holds my life. I can depend on it. I can depend on what it says. I can depend on what it teaches. I can know that it will usher me not through this life, but also into eternity. But it's up to me to make that decision based on, of course, an understanding of what it teaches. And also who stands behind it. Who's the guarantee of it? Well, when it comes to faith, knowledge is necessary. But once again, there's got to be a deep conviction so that I can trust. Once again, let's go back to the parachute. Okay? Now, you've got the parachute and you're on the plane. It's on your back. Did you watch it being packed no, you didn't watch it. Did you pack it yourself? So you didn't supervise it being packed. You didn't pack it yourself, right? Okay. Do you know the person that packed it? No. Is it on your back? Are you jumping? You're for only 14,000. I mean, the, the really big good ride, I, I guess the good rush that you get is at 18,000. But you're only at 14,000, so you should be pretty good at that, right? You're just going to jump. Think about it. The person that's up there probably would jump. That's why they're up there. But did you check it out? Did you supervise it? Did you pack it? Do you know the person that packed it? How do you know they didn't sabotage you? It's called unconscious trust and faith in the fact that that parachute will do its duty so much so I place my hands in that parachute's functioning correctly. That's called faith. You realize that? Well, why is it we can have faith in something like a parachute that was never, as far as we're concerned, tested, didn't pack it, didn't see it, but I trust it so much that if it doesn't open, I'll just be a splattered on the ground about 4,000, 14,000 feet. Now, I know it's a little graphic, but... <laughs> but think about it. Unconsciously, every day, we do things like that. Do you realize that? We do. We trust our brakes are going to work. Going down a hill. And so on. We get in an airplane, believe it's going to function like it should function to get us to our destination, right? And the list goes on and on, and we do it unconsciously. 
We call that faith. I'm certain that it's going to work. I'm certain it's going to open. The parish is going to open. I'm certain I'm going to land, etc., etc. That's called faith. Yes, it's based on knowledge, but it's also based on a deep conviction that it's going to function. It's going to work. Well, when it comes to us being in Christ, think about that. There is nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. We know that. And although I may have knowledge of what Jesus has done to save me, I know that he came, I know that he suffered, I know that he died, I know that he rose again, I know that he took his blood to the high court of heaven, I know he obtained eternal redemption for me. All that knowledge is wonderful, all that knowledge is great, but it does me no good until I trust my life by accepting what he did into my heart and making him the Lord and Savior of my life. By grace are you saved through faith. It's not just knowing it, it's leaping out of the airplane and saying, I'm throwing my life into your hands, Lord. I place my life into your saving grace. All that you've done, your shed blood, all that you provided for me, I'm just jumping out, free-falling, and you know what? You're my parachute, Lord. You are my parachute. You're going to usher me into your kingdom, and I know that. So none of this really helps me unless I, by faith, accept it and activate its powers in my life. How do I do that? Well, this is unpacking the parachute then. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. And let's start with verse 8. But what saith it? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believes to righteousness with the mouth confession is made to salvation and then verse 13 says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in this verse, we see the operation of faith. We see how we apply these principles, all that Jesus did for us in our lives. It involves two things, my heart and my mouth. What I believe in my heart, what I say with my mouth. It's not me being baptized. It's not me doing things in the natural, like keeping a law, like the Jew may keep the law and think they can be saved by that, but they can't. The Gentile thinks, I don't need to keep the law. I can just be saved on my own behavior, my good action, you know, acts, and etc., etc. No, none of that. There's only one way to be saved. You've got to believe in your heart and say with your mouth that what Jesus did for you, you accept it, you embrace it, you believe it, you declare it, you confess it, you tell people, you witness by saying that I'm born again, I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. It's your heart and your mouth that applies the principles into your life. Okay. Well, look at verse 13 through 17. We start there. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice this call. I call upon him. I'm calling upon you to save me. I'm calling upon you to deliver me. I'm calling upon you to usher me into the eternal kingdom of God by your works, not because of who I am or what I've done, but I'm embracing what you've done. Okay? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Elias said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So now we have components of faith. This is unpacking the whole thing. What are the components of faith? I have to hear it. I have to believe it. And then there's an act. I have to act upon it. And the primary action of faith is what? Saying. Saying. That's the primary action of faith. So those three things. 
I never heard that before. I know, I didn't either. I never heard before when I was growing up in church for 24 years that by his stripes you were healed. Never heard that. If someone would have told me back then you could lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, I would have said these are one of these crazy holy rollers, these Jesus freaks that are lunatics. That's what I would have said. You know why? I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't know the truth. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't understand any of this. I was never taught any of this. But you know what? When I was taught the truth of God's word, my whole demeanor changed. My whole attitude changed. I embraced that truth and started laying hands on the sick and watched them recover. So I've got to hear it first and then I've got to believe it. Believing it means I embrace it to the point that I will jump out of the plane. I will. See, there's an action to it. What's the action of faith that's primary? Not jumping out of a plane. It's right here. It's what we say. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. You believe in your heart. You say with your mouth. So we talk, when we talk about faith, and this is probably the best subject, as far as I'm concerned, the most exciting subject that we could really discuss and talk about. It just really fires me up. We believe in the heart and say with our mouth what the Word says so that God has a highway to move or He has something to work with. He gives the Holy Spirit something to work with. When I say what the Word says, God says, Oh, did you hear that? Jesus said, He confessed me before men. I'm confessing Him to you, Father. Did you hear what He just said? He just said angels are loose to minister for Him because He's an heir of salvation. Let's go, angels. But you see, when I brought this message here 42 plus years ago, it was criticized, ridiculed, and you're nothing but one of these word of faith fanatics. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. There's a lot of good that's been done with that message. There are a lot of lives that have been saved. There's a lot of lives that have been healed, delivered, set free, and made whole. I mean, I, we can go on and on forever and talk about how many wonderful things have taken place because someone says, I never heard that before. But now instead of just saying... Well, Lord, if it be your will, they're saying, get out of my body in the name of Jesus Christ. I take authority over you and I command that you leave. Amen. What a difference. Amen. Right? I remember when my one son, my oldest boy, taken to the doctors. I didn't even know he was sick. He was going there for regular things to be done, you know. And I think he was going for his immunization sauce to go to school back at that time, way back when. And when I got him, him there, it was a lady doctor, and she looked at me, she said, I can't give him a shot. And I said, why? He's sick. He's got double ear infection. Is he complaining about pain? No, hasn't complained about pain at all. Well, he's got a double ear infection. When that goes away, and it's, it's rampant, everybody, all these kids were getting it and all that. Well, when it's gone, 10 days, I'm going to give you a prescription. In 10 days, bring him back. We'll check him again. If he's okay, et cetera, et cetera. I said, okay. Well, she gave me the, she came in with the prescription. I was, I was bold, a little bit bold. I just said, oh, doctor, that's okay. You don't have to write that out. Don't you believe in medicine? I said, oh, no, it's not that at all. I'm just going to pray and my father will heal him. She said, what? I'm going to pray and my father will heal him. Well, just take it just in case. I said, okay. So I took it and left. We're just driving in a car. You don't have to be in a holy place. We're driving in a car. He's in the back. He scoots up a little bit. I just said, Father, you heard what I said. So, Father, I'm asking you to heal him from that. In Jesus' name, thank you. That's simple. Went home. 
Ten days later, took him back. She's examining all these kids that are in line, like lined up. And, oh, you still got some residue of this. I got to change your medication. You got to have that. You got to have this. You got to have that. And, and finally got our turn. And he goes up there and she checks him out real thoroughly. And she finally stops and looks at me and she said, Did you give him the medicine or did you do that other thing? Exact words. I said, I did the other thing. Well, whatever you did, he's completely healed. He said, all right. You see, the thing is, it's not something that you say, I heard someone say to do this. It's that you have sat with the Lord. You have studied his word. You have embraced it in your own heart. And now... When faced with a difficult situation, that's really the acid test. Wouldn't you say? It's the acid test. If you recall when Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan's coming to shift, sift you like wheat. I have prayed for you, Peter. What did he pray for? That Satan would stop? No, he said, I prayed that your faith doesn't fail. Well, that really hit me square between the eyes when I heard that's what Jesus prayed, that his faith fail not. Satan's coming after him. You would think, I bind you in my name. Satan, get your hands off Peter. He is my apostle. No, no, I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. Because he's coming to do what? To sift you like we, to determine what you're made up of. You know what to sift, to, to, to take the good from the bad? To put it in a sifter? The enemy will put pressure on us to determine what we're really made up of. What are we made up of? Is that genuine faith or is it fictitious faith? Is it borrowed faith from somebody else? It's really something when I hear someone say, Brother so-and-so said, prayed this. It's what you believe. It's what I believe. It's what I say, what I declare, what I decree by the authority of the name of Jesus. See, that comes out at that moment. I wasn't even trying to do something at that point because I didn't even know the kid was sick. But when she said, he's got double ear infection, okay, I'll pray my father will heal him. It was that simple. Came out. Same thing happened with Andrew. The same thing. Okay, you know, he doesn't have this, whatever, and you do your part and, you know, we believe God to do the rest. Now to show you, this is a fact. You see, an acid test is Something that when you take the test, the results are beyond doubt, dispute, it's foolproof, and uh, it's conclusive. In other words, I put it to the test and it's foolproof. Well, look at what Jesus said. Faith operates from the heart to the mouth of any individual, and that's how it works. And it's up to us to do what? To program our hearts with the word of God, embrace it to the point that we believe it so much so that when we're squeezed, faith comes out of us. Not doubt, not unbelief. Okay. So look at what Jesus taught in Matthew 17, 20, Mark eleven twenty three, 23, and then Luke 17, 5, and 6. This is what Jesus taught. Remember, he's teaching faith. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say. If you have faith, what will you do? You will say. Say, under this mountain, remove hence to the honor place, and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible to you. See, what matters in Christ is faith working by love. And if that's how faith really works, don't you want your faith to work to move mountains? 
appreciate your enthusiasm tonight, you're, this morning. You're really thrilled and excited about this. Did you hear what he just said? Nothing will be impossible to you if you believe in your heart that when you say to that mountain, remove hence the other place, it will remove and nothing will be impossible unto you. Okay, let's put it to where we live right now. COVID, you're a mountain. I'm speaking to you in Jesus' name, move. Remove from hence to yonder place. Get out of my life. God wants us all to get to a place that we embrace this truth to, to such a degree that we put it to the acid test. Get out. How many of you know that when Jesus arose from the dead, he was given all authority in all the heaven and earth? Was he not? Yeah. All power in heaven and earth is given to me. So go ye. He restored to man his lost dominion from the very beginning. And he says, now I hold it. Satan was the rebel holder of authority, but now I hold it and I'm giving it to you in the power of my name. I'm giving you the power of attorney to take my name and use it as the battle axe of your life. And when something comes against you, remember this. I have exalted my name and word above all else and my word I've been magnified above my name. So praise God. Get the word. Use my name. Declare it to be true. And mountains will remove for you. Look at uh, Mark's gospel, chapter 11 and verse 23. This is Jesus teaching on faith. For verily I say unto you that whosoever, it's not just for Paul, Peter, James, John. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, whosoever shall what? Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he what? Why such an emphasis on what we say? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the, uh, the, the going to eat it, eat the fruit thereof. Right? Did you ever read the book called Hung by the Tongue? I forget who wrote it now. Some time ago. Read it way a long time ago. It's called Hung by the Tongue. It talks about this very principle here. This is how faith operates. I got to put the word in my heart and my mouth. See, what's the abundance of the heart? The mouth's going to speak. And if we're full of fear, worry, anxiety, doubt, unbelief, and all that, we're going to speak it and speak it and speak it and speak it and speak it. And that's what's wrong. Please listen carefully. Okay? If you listen to all the negativity, all the reports on television, which... You don't know who packed that parachute. That newscaster's report, you don't know who packed it. Well, the CDC did. Well, do they know everything? No. We're finding something out, aren't we? Yes. After two and a half years of COVID, what are we finding out? Uh, who knows? One shot worse, two might, three, who knows? Uh, what do we really know? Well, if you get a shot, you won't get it. Well, no, that doesn't work because people got the shot and they got it. Yeah. Am, I, am I right here? Yes. Anybody know someone who's got all shots and boosters and still got it? Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, the whole point is man doesn't know everything. But I don't know, somewhere I found that God does. He knows everything. And so you're listening to all these reports and what does it create? Confusion, doubt, unbelief. Fear, worry, anxiety. You know what? If we'd spend half the time in this book, find out what he says, 
put a network of scriptures together and say, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. The great I am is your God. And what does he say he'll do? I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. I sent my word to heal you and deliver you from your destructions. And the Holy Ghost that raised up Jesus from the dead will quicken your body with resurrection life if you'll just put that truth in your heart and declare it with your mouth. Amen. Amen. Let's give an example. Well, first of all, Paul agrees. Look at, well, let's look at Luke first. Luke 17, 5 and 6. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. So no, what's he talking about? Faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might. What? Why is Jesus being so repetitious when it comes to faith and saying? You think there's any importance there? Any meaning there? Any connection there? If you had faith, you would what? Say. What would you say? Say to this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root. And be thou planted into the sea, and it should obey God. Who's it going to obey, Aaron? All of us. Say to the sycamine tree, with those roots that just go out and out, it's just like the, like the root of bitterness just gets a hold of a person. I'm just so bitter. I'm just so angry. I'm just so whatever. You know what he says? Start saying to that root of bitterness, get out of my life, be planted into the sea of forgetfulness, and stay there. But when he's teaching on faith, this is what he says. In the New Testament, the resurrection life that we have, the authority that we have, he says, you've got to believe it in your heart, and you've got to say it with your mouth. And that's how we get God to move on our behalf and get involved in whatever it is that we're saying. If all we do is sit around and just say, I just can't believe it. It looks like I'm going to die. Just, I just, and, and, and it's all negativity or we're afraid of this and we're afraid of that. Well, Job said the fear I greatly feared came upon me. In other words, we're opening up the door for fear to enter in. Look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Who taught Paul the gospel? Anybody know in this congregation? Jesus did. So what does Paul say about faith? We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I what? Spoken. We also believe and therefore what? Speak. I believe and I'm speaking. Okay, let's do this. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, these few scriptures here, this is the acid test. This is how we can really see how faith works. This is the life of David. And David is a young boy. And he is standing before Goliath. Before he stands before Goliath, Saul the king says, I don't want you to go out there without any armor. All you've got is a little slingshot here and a few stones. No, what I want you to do is put on this armor, my armor, the king's armor, because you see, that's what you really need to defeat this big old giant, if you're going to defeat him. And what does uh, David say? Well, look, I haven't tested that. I haven't proven that. There's no way I can know I can use this and get out there and be comfortable in this warfare. Besides, he said, you talk about the acid test, which proves what? It's indisputable. 
There's no doubt. What, there's no disputing it whatsoever. It is foolproof. He wanted something foolproof. He wanted to be fully convinced and persuaded. So he said, look to the king. He said, look, there was a lion and a bear. And both of them, I just went after him in the name of the Lord my God. And they, I defeated both the lion and the bear. And this giant's not going to be any different than a lion or the bear. That's what he said. Well, you know, just because he said that, you think that Goliath was going to say, Ooh, he beat up a lion. Ooh, he beat up a bear. Well, let's pick it up over here. This is from the message translation, I believe, of the Bible. And look at here. You think the enemy's just going to back down because you got up and you took a shower this morning? Combed your hair? As the Philistine paced back and forth, this is, I have to, this just really tickled me when I read this translation. That's why I'm pulling it out. It was so hysterical. So just keep that in mind. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach-fuzzed. The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. And I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. That's putting it kind of in our language, right? Okay, Goliath. I didn't even know he knew about roadkill. But anyhow... Well, David answered, now you would think that this almost 11 foot guy, huge, and this peach fuzz little boy looking up to him would be moved at least that much. The reporter's in the back saying, have you seen this big giant that's come out of the Philistines camp? He's come, to, he's going to fight the Israelites and all the reporters are there, CBN, NBC, CBS. I mean, it's all, they're all there. But you see, David didn't have his television on that day. So he walks through the field there, picks up his stones. He responds back to, the, to Goliath. Here's what he says. David answered, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a battle axe, or say javelin. I come at you in the name of God, of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, cut off your head, serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel and everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God. He's handing you to us on a platter. That just tickled me. I don't know what it does for you, but I thought, that's faith. I said, that's faith. In the face of all that huge, overpowering voice telling him, you are making roadkill. That's all there is to it. I'm going to feed you to the field mice. Your carcass will be eaten up. He goes, you got it wrong there, buddy. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, this is what's really going to happen. And let me ask this question. Did God show up? And did he give God something to work with, which was the word that he spoke? When he said, 
the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or if he says the God of Israel, he's saying the Lord of hosts in the King James, which means the Lord of all the heavenly armies. He is the Lord of all. He's on my, I should fear you when he's on my side. Who do you think you are? He's going to strengthen me, help me, uphold me. He will defend me and fight for me. Besides, the battle's not mine, it's the Lord's, and he will deliver you in my hands, and you're going down. And what happened? He got what he said. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Isn't that wonderful to know that we can have that kind of trust and faith in God? And where does it come from? It doesn't come from outside. It comes from inside this Bible that tells me my redemptive rights and lets me know I belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when I speak his word, he watches over it to perform it. I didn't think we'd get through this, so let's all stand before the Lord.